show on the fish stripes podcast channel it's a familiar voice eli sussman here managing editor at fish stripes and i got a co-host this time not a guest we're really just kind of going back and forth on this me and lewis adio weiss he's our deputy editor here at fish stripes fresh off covering a game at lone depot park uh, the final game of the marlins Braves series we're going to begin with that we're going to spend most of this episode going into Starling Marte and hashtag pay Marte. That movement has taken off a little bit the last couple of weeks on social media as he's playing the best baseball of his career. He's a pending free agent. People want to know uh, what his future looks like, whether that future could be in Miami and what that future would look like on the payroll for the Marlins. And so we're going to go through everything, you know, all the consequences potentially of locking up Marte, the consequences of course, of letting him go either via trade or via free agency, uh, Lewis, we want to, I guess we'll just start off just generally, uh, because usually I spend these pods actually talking about the state of the whole team. So we want to, uh, looking back at this weekend, we were talking about it, you know, right before pressing recording that, uh, a few things that stood out from the series against the Braves, they took two out of three the Marlins over the Braves. Uh, but really, you know, the one surprise and the one letdown, the main reason why they couldn't pull off the sweep was Pablo Lopez. So from, from being at the park and from, going through the numbers and from hearing from him post-game. Um, what kind of happened to Pablo in this game uh, on yeah, Sunday? So I think it's a slew of factors. I mean, with every loss, there's a, a myriad of things that kind of go on that kind of lead to it. But it, home plate umpire Mark Wagner certainly didn't help Lopez. I don't know if you were yeah. following on Baseball Savant. Mm-hmm. And I put up a tweet about it at one point. But there was, I think it was a one-two pitch to Abraham Almonte you know, a guy that's kind of been around, you know, fourth outfielder type in the major leagues. And I mean, you know, Lopez is the stuff. I don't think necessarily was a problem for him as far as just like pure, like velocity goes like the fastball was all right. The spin rate was in line with where he was throughout the season, but he threw a two, two, he threw a one, two fastball, 95 outside part of the plate called a ball. And, you know, like you clearly, if you look at the K zone on whether you're watching it on MLB at bat or you're, you know, watching it with the K-Zone on TV, or if you're, like, on Baseball Savant, it, you know, it's clearly a strike. You know, Lopez wound up walking him, and obviously it didn't help prior that he gave up hits to Freeman and Acuna. And, yeah, and then he, he hit a batter. He hit Adrianza, and then yeah. he gave up a hit to Austin Riley, who Austin Riley was, you know, he was phenomenal today. I think he went three for four today, you know, obviously hit the home run off of Lopez. And I, you know, it mostly just came down to location. It was the biggest thing. I mean, he wasn't hitting his spots. You know, the stuff again was good. You know, he was topping out at 96, which we need normally see him as like, you know, low to mid nineties, like he's 92 to 94. He'll hit 95, but you know, he was 95, 96 at times. The cutter looked really good, but he just wasn't spotting pitches. And that kind of led him to a lot of high pitch inning. Like I think, believe he threw 34, 35, 36 pitches in the first inning. I and think even more than that. Yeah. He threw 84 and in three innings. I mean, you're not really going to pitch many innings if you're averaging 28 pitches in an inning, you know, it's kind of like the antithesis of efficiency and being economic with your pitch count, but it was mostly that, I mean, the strikes don't hurt him a little bit early. And I was actually talking to Jessica Blaylock post game, who's the on-field reporter for the team on Valley sports. And she, she came over cause she heard my question in the zoom and she looked at me and she's like, it's like, yeah, no, Wagner strikes zone was one of the main reasons 
as to why he kind of struggled and further labored in that first inning. But, you know, I don't know. Like, I always kind of have this weird thing. Like, Sandy Leone has not hit all season. And Alfaro did his job at the plate today. But defensively, you know, he's not – you know, he's not Leone. I mean, just the way that pitchers kind of have that camaraderie with him, I don't think Alfaro necessarily has that relationship. He's definitely the better bet offensively. But, I don't know, maybe you kind of just want to, like – give Sandy Leone most of the starts of those guys, even if you do have to sacrifice a little bit of offense, maybe a little controversial, but I don't know. I, I always kind of have some trepidation when I don't see him in the lineup because I'm always kind of scared as to how the starting pitcher is going to react to somebody like Alfaro, who's had his Gary Sanchez-esque light struggles behind the plate. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think? When you watched it today, what did you kind of see that was like off with Pablo after a terrific start against Colorado? Well, absolutely. That one pitch he brought up to Almonte immediately like jumped out the, that fact that it would have been a strike three. And instead he ends up walking in that play appearance. So, I mean, as soon as that happened, even before a run scored, I like pinpointed that as a potential turning point and it turned out to be a turning point, but I mean, there's just not much you can excuse about what Pablo did after that because there was still going to be an extra out to get even beyond that and in this inning there was that there was that that extra walk uh that really didn't have any borderline pitches and there was that extra hit by pitch uh that really like put him in that bad spot in terms of his efficiency so i there's really nothing you could do to overlook that he didn't get as many chases outside the zone as usual that stuck out um that simply even though he used his usual pitches, he didn't use his changeup as much. And perhaps it's just because they weren't chasing the changeup. Um, so whether there was uh, some issue with his release point that like it just wasn't as deceptive as usual, or he didn't have the right feel for it. For some reason, that pitch wasn't the same, you know, like really deadly weapon it usually is for him. It, it was always a combination of things uh, for sure. Um, with Alfaro, I, I mean, it's, it's a valid point. Uh, actually with Pablo in particular last year, I mean, he, he was someone that really went out of his way to talk about how much he loved working with Chad Wallach and exactly. how, how that relationship was. That was that whole storyline that went all, all the way through the playoffs. It's how everybody loves working with Chad. And, and then, but it came to a point this year where Chad just was not playing the same all around defense that someone like Sandy is with Alfaro. I mean, I guess we'll just finish with this before getting of course into Starling is that, I mean, Alfaro is just hitting so well since coming back from the IL, not even mm-hmm. at like a 2019 level at like a career best level recently. He's like OPSing around 900 since he came back from the IL. He's not striking out as much, you know, it's like that above average, it's that worse than average strikeout rate, but not that obscene strikeout rate. He's still hitting the ball hard. He's hitting it's all, all fields. So, I mean, when, when, you know, his OPS is like doubled what Sandy is during that, that time span. Yeah. Um, like there's a certain like point it reaches where you're making so much of a better impact offensively that I think it outweighs any of those deeper concerns. Um, so, yeah. So I understand like that one pitch that kind of screwed things up. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything that Sandy Leon would have done differently to like do th- It was such a bad miss by the umpire that I really like can't uh, understand it, catcher having any role in that it just feels like a, a total Absolutely. screw up by the ump yeah. but uh so with Alfaro it's just it's been good to see him like actually contributing offensively actually being an above average hitter not just a decent hitting catcher but really showing signs um because this is a guy that more so than anybody else this was supposed to be a make or break year for him 
it got off to that bad start when you couple, you know, the poor production early on and the injury now that he's been back. And now that he's playing at this level, um, it's a sigh of relief for a team that was wondering uh, if you'd even make it through the year as the main catcher. And now uh, like, it's not looking too far ahead to think that all of a sudden you have this option, at least for 2022 and beyond. If this is the guy who's going to be, he's, he's, he's something, he's a guy, you know, he's, he's not lighting the world on fire, but it's been an encouraging stretch from him, at least at the plate. And let's just clarify something too. I mean, you, you could be a lot worse off than you can than having Alfaro far on your team, especially when you look at Miami as a team that, you know, I put something on Twitter today and I don't know if I still left it there or I wound up deleting it, but you know, I don't love his approach at the plate. Obviously he's a, you know, he's a very he's high chase guy. I mean, there's even been a running joke on social media that he's kind of like our new version of Stan because he just loves the out and away slider. You know, the one that just tails away from him from right-handed pitchers that just, he, he's a big fan of that. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't walk, but he hits for a lot of power. Look at the peripherals. He's like 97th percentile on average exit velocity. I think the defense has gotten slightly better, but you know, it's, it's, he hasn't, and he's also gone from two organizations in Texas and Philadelphia, where if he were playing his primary games in those ballparks, you know, prior globe life to what it is now. And then citizens bank in Philadelphia, you know, one would probably be led to believe that his offensive numbers would be a lot better. I do think that Marlins park does tend to suppress a lot of offensive numbers. I mean, there's a bevy of examples. You can look at Casey McGee in 2014, or, you know, just the slew of guys that kind of came over here and had their power numbers kind of zapped. Yeah. And even this season with Jesus Aguilar, 12 home runs on the road and, and zero at home. Uh, I mean, that w- that's been a really unusual case. Last Sunday after the game, he even um, one of the one of the uh, communications people kind of said to us, like, hey, any questions for Jesus, but nothing about home run- hitting away as opposed to hitting at home. But and it's been a struggle for him. And there were actually some there was an at bat against I think it was against Smiley earlier in the game where he just flailed on. He took two fastballs and then he flailed on a curveball. I mean, like his approach kind of, he kind of, he's, he's one of those guys where like the, the overall numbers kind of speak to a degree of consistency, but he, I don't know. He, he's a bit of a streaky hitter. He struck out three times today. So the jazz jazz kind of made some adjustments and hit a double and put another ball in play in his last two at bats. But yeah, I, it, I think there's, I don't know. This is something I wanted to ask you because I think it's, continues on the line of where we were without Faro and just not being a selective hitter, but even Duvall, like I Duvall had another rough game today at the plate. He went over for two strikeouts. He entered play with a 248 on base percentage. The defense is still good, but his defensive run safe has gone down a little bit, which leads me to believe he's had a couple of instances and we've seen him recently where the glove hasn't been what we kind of thought it was. But do you think there's something that's being preached organizationally. That's kind of like saying, Hey, like, I don't care how you score runs. I just want you to kind of be efficient and do it as quickly as you can, because there's, you know, there, I look at this team and other than, you know, Marte and to a degree Rojas, there really isn't anybody who kind of works pitchers and likes to take pitches Chisholm too. But like, I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt yet, just because it's been less than half of the season that he's really been in the major leagues. But I, 
it's concerning as to how many guys are free swingers on this team. And there's like no and, uh, birdie too. But again, like birdies in a real world, we're drinking true stream. He's an everyday player. So, you know what I, you know, and it plays into what I think we need to do when considering what we're going to do with Marte after the season or coming at the deadline, we kind of have to build a lineup where we have guys, you know, not to pick on the Astros, but, for what they did in 2017, but have guys that can work pitchers and at least draw walks, you know, cut down on the strikeouts. We don't seemingly have a lot of guys who are like that. And it's, I, it leads us to losing a lot of those one run games because we can't draw a walk late or move a guy over like Corey Dickerson, you know? Yeah. Well, to that point, I mean, the top three guys on this team in walks this season, it's Jesus Aguilar, it's John Birdie and Isan Diaz, two of those guys that aren't really, everyday players <laughs> and i mean aguilar is they're kind of all at the same number even though much different number of plate appearances so it sticks out um we want to get into starling Marte pretty soon but uh, some quick hits on on duval um yeah really weird year because he was extraordinary defensively april and may uh, really several plays stick out like recently during this that homestand from him that just shows um his mortality as a defender uh i mean he just he doesn't have the tools as a lot of these elite defenders even though he was making all the plays and it's it's sort of evening out where he's clearly still like a plus defensively especially in right field as opposed to uh being in center uh but there's still you know there are limitations and that's not going to carry him all the way he needs to to needs to get on base better than he is right now. Um, I, I've spoken about this already that I think the best, I, if I was running the team basically right now, I would have Duvall <clears throat> and Dickerson platooning in left and I'd call up Jesus Sanchez. Um, I, I'm kind of at that point where he, I, I think Duvall does a lot of positive things and even Dickerson does a lot of positive things, but I don't see either of them as an everyday player and I don't see any potential like trade suitors treating them as an everyday player either. So, you know, stop, putting up that facade and just like try putting them in the best positions to uh, contribute. Uh, it is a good big question, uh, picture question. I mean, one, one kind of defining characteristic that James Rousen brought over when he became, he's now the bench coach and the offensive coordinator is that his tw- teams with the twins that put up those big numbers, a big adjustment that most of them made was more aggressiveness on the first pitch of a plate appearance and doing so much damage on the first pitch. Um, I, you've seen a little bit more aggressiveness from the Marlins as well the last couple of years with him uh, in charge, but it just, as you point out, it just hasn't translated. I mean, they, they were a mediocre offense last year and this year it, it's kind of the same story. I mean, they're missing a couple of key guys right now in Rojas and Brian Anderson, like even on their best days, John Birdie, Isan Diaz, Jose Devers, they're not, they're just not as good as Rojas and BA. So uh, as we're recording this, Miguel Rojas nearing his return to the lineup, um, but Brian Anderson's still like several weeks away. So the talent of uh, once you get past the top of the lineup is an issue for sure. But as, as you pointed out, I mean, that's totally correct that even those guys at the top, for the most part, they are, they, they have some similarities in their profile that when you put it all together, it could be less than the sum of their parts because they're just not on base in the first place. Yeah. I mean, and I, again, you realistically can't expect a team to really compete if you don't have guys like that, like, I mean, the, what made the 2003 team so great was we had a guy like Louis Castillo and we had guys like Pierre who, you know, Castillo was – obviously he wasn't going to hit for power, but he was a pr- constant 360 to 380, 400-on base guy. I, I was actually looking it up earlier today. There's only been six seasons in Marlins history where a player who's qualified to win the batting title has finished with an on-base percentage above 400. 
not to say that, you know, I mean, Marte's OBP right now, I believe, is near 450. But, again, he's only played 30 of, like, the 63, 64 games that we've played. So, take that with a grain of salt because, again, who knows if that's sustainable over the course of the full season for him. He's never done that. But, I mean, we need – you know, if – we're if this rebuild is going to kind of like continue to go where we're hoping it where Dembo and Kimang and Jeter are hoping it goes I think it's going to have to start there I mean the pitching obviously wasn't a problem in 2013 and 14 for us and it's not a problem for us now but we the problem that prevail that prevailed in those times and it prevails now is the same thing is we don't have guys who you know we don't have guys with good approaches to the play I mean we had Stanton we had Yelich but they, you know, Stanton wasn't who he was in 2017, in, even in 2014 when he finished second in the MVP voting. I mean, we just didn't have guys who consistently were working pitchers and getting on base. And I, I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I think that's honestly the biggest thing that eludes us is like, I mean, Gary Cooper is an above average offensive player, but he also doesn't have a, a large enough body of work to justify what he's really done. I mean, he's good, but over the course of a full season – is he a 350, 360 on base guy? We need guys like that who I think are going to help us because, you know, there's more games we could be winning if we had a Scott Hatterberg-esque player who, you know, sacrifice some of the defense you do at Dickerson and, you know, get a little bit more offense. Even if it doesn't mean you're hitting home runs, you're just working pitchers and getting on base. And we need, you know, more situational hitters. I think it'll make everyone around us better, as cliche as that sounds. This show presented by Symbol Three months now we've had this partnership with Symbol here on the Fish Tribes podcast. They're the stock market for sports, allowing you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when those teams win. MLB, NFL, NBA. You buy low, you sell high, profit. Uh, they have, it's it, it could be a little intimidating the first time you log in there. Just check out their analysis on their site that really gets you to understand how these individual teams function, these stocks function and what affects them and where, where you should be putting your money uh, to get you really up to speed and comfortable with this platform if you're not already on there. But there are more than 2,500 early adopters who are investing with Symbol. It's at www.simbull.app. You go there to create a free account. Make that first deposit and use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word. You get a $10 deposit bonus on that first time. And the current Sim Marlins share price is $30.14. Symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, $10 deposit bonus, and that will help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. Well, it's a perfect transition uh, here on the official show presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports, uh, to the guy that is getting on base more than anybody in the National League. If Starling Marte, you've referenced it earlier, that uh, as of finished today at a 4.43 OBP for this season, it's it's only been 30 games because of all the time he missed with an injury. Uh, but if he had enough playing time to qualify for the league leaderboards, he'd be leading the National League in OBP. He'd be second to the in the majors behind only Vlad Guerrero, and he's doing it while hitting for decent power, while being a plus base runner, uh, by being a, really an extraordinary defender in center field. And we'll get into that a lot too about where he stands defensively. Could so just to boil it down uh, as simply as you could. Um, what is 
gone so well for Starling Marte this year? I don't know. I mean, it's great. When he was in Pittsburgh, everybody always kind of touted him as like this guy. And he was a left fielder then primarily. And so when he won, won a gold glove in and uh, Pittsburgh is playing primarily left field. But he was always so such a toolsy guy. And even whenever he was on the field, he seemingly seemed to do a lot of things well. Like, you know, he wasn't putting up the trout and trout numbers as far as on base percentage goes, but he offset that by stealing a lot of bases. The power was enough to where you would be like, okay. And this guy, and he could really play defense. I mean, he's plus 71 defensive run saved career in left field center field. He's like minus eight, but at this point we can kind of say that's average this year. He's been just about average defensively. And with the plays that he made today, he's probably going to move up that leaderboard a little bit. I mean, because I mean, he made two outfield assists in two days. The play he made, I believe it was in the fifth inning when Curtis was pitching after he had allowed a run to prevent another run from scoring, which really in hindsight, because we lost by two, that could have, it could have made this loss a lot worse on us. He made two catches in the eighth and the ninth innings, respectively, that it seemed for me like I don't even think Kevin Kiermaier could have made some of those plays. But the amount of ground that he was able to cover, I mean, they were Byron Buxton-esque plays that he was making it. Smith out to center. Marte back toward the wall, reaches up. Oh, why wouldn't he make the play? Why wouldn't he make another beautiful play out in center field? He's done everything else. That's kind of just me saying he looks a lot bigger than he actually is, but he just yeah. moves so well for a guy who patrols the position he does. And that's a, and let us not forget, that's a pretty big outfield in Marlins Park. It's not Colorado, but it's pretty spacious out there. I mean, you can lose a lot of balls in the left center gaps. And I don't know, he just, I mean, he definitely has to cover a lot more ground because as we saw today with Dickerson and we've seen a lot this season, he's just very limited out there at this point in his career. But I don't know. He, Marte has just been like, I mean, there's bright spots and then he, the dude is just like shining like a constellation. He's been like, yeah. I mean, like he, you know, he's putting the ball in play, like his approach is solid. He's always up the middle. So he's never really trying to pull anything. And he, I don't know. It's just everything he does. He just shows up day in and day out. He's not a loud guy. So, he, I mean, you pretty much just like our DJ LeMay, who just do your job and yeah, don't really say too much and don't, and kind of just be a leader and example for everybody else. And that's what he has been. And I understand why people want to pay him. I mean, he's, you know, he's probably having the best season of his career. Yeah. We probably the, I, I need to give credit to Ethan Badowski fish drives that he was the one back in i don't know when it started it's probably during spring training that he was pushing the idea that they need to extend Marte. they need to extend Marte, and i really wasn't like all that um hyped about it i mean i thought it was i was advocating for them to pay anybody just because they they have so much financial flexibility moving forward as as we'll get into that they could they could pay a lot of people and, and still have the flexibility to build a complete team around that i wasn't like totally enamored with it just based on what we saw last year we saw some good things but I mean, last year he was getting on base less than 30% of the time after the trade. And then there was, of course, the finger injury in the playoffs and his age to consider where he's 32 now. He'll be 33 when the next contract hits in. And those guys, like, historically don't stick in center field. But really the biggest, I mean, obviously offensively is where you need to start because that's the biggest part of the game where he's, his, his WRC plus is like 179, 79% above league average. Uh, same thing as with um his obp that like if he had enough time to qualify enough playing time to qualify he'd be one of the best hitters in the league it's a small sample though and we know it's going to come down to earth a little bit uh 
it's just still like extraordinary. Um, but the two things that really stick out about his season is one, the defense in center field. I mean, today was like the, like the shine, it was probably the best individual game that we've seen from him defensively as yeah. a Marlin, uh, which is saying a lot. He's had some good plays, but I don't think he's ever had like three of those plays all in the same game. Um, that, as you said, it kept the game close, even though they, they never led in the game. Uh, the fact that it was even close, that, that kind of all goes on what Starling Marte did individually. The fact that his defense in center field is still so strong, because when you're looking at that next contract, um, to me, it was always seemed to be like a certainty that he's going to shift to the corners. Um, he did play, as you said, with Pittsburgh, he was played a lot of left field, and that's probably where he goes to, back to eventually. It's just that when he's playing at such a high level in center field now, then, I mean, it's just hard to now see exactly when that falls off because of the way he conditions his body and not just the conditioning and like the physical fitness, it's just the, the routes that he takes and the instincts that he has, like that stuff can age pretty well. And I think at this point, you have to assume that um, moving into 2022, at least for next year, that there's no reason to doubt that he'll still be a center fielder and still be a solid center fielder. Um, and then the other thing that I mentioned to you before this is his walk rate, because that was the big gripe that I think a lot of us have about this offense right now is they don't take those walks. They don't even work deep counts really all that often. And Marte is one of the few guys that does do that this year. He's in the double digits in his walk rate in terms of his total plate appearances, but looking through his entire career, he'd never had a walk rate over 6% before. So, so what do you make of that? That just the walk rate itself? Like, is there any explanation for that? Like why this is a guy that year after year after year, he's been a very aggressive hitter and he's been a good player, but that's always been kind of a shortcoming in his game. And all of a sudden that's changed. Uh, is that something you feel is legit? Or do you think we have to assume that comes back down eventually? I think we kind of have to assume with everything that it's going to, you know, adjust for what, what he actually is. And if he, and listen, if he's a, I think Miami will with the base running component in there, because of he, you know, he's so he's such a smart base runner. I believe he's only been caught once or twice this year on the bases. If yeah. he's walking 5% of the time, which for his career, he, he is, I mean, he's walking right now, according to fan graphs, 11.7% of the time as of today's game. And he's striking out, you know, the strikeout rate is up a little bit from last year, but if you're walking, you know, double more than what you usually do, if you're striking out 3% more, I don't think it necessarily matters, but we can always, we can always kind of resort to the small sample size fodder that we like to do when we gawk over players who have a good month. Like, I don't know, remember, was it like last year and even a couple of years ago, Charlie Blackman was hitting 400. Yeah, like last year. Yeah. And, and then there was at one point where he did it through like May of, or it was like to the beginning of May in 2000 and like maybe in 15 or 16, he was doing that too. So, and we saw what happened with Blackman last year. I mean, he's a little above 300, but his numbers came back down to earth. I don't think Marte is going to hit 350 for the season. Would I be surprised? No, because they've kind of always projected him as a talent who at his height could possibly have a season like that. And really, we always like to remember players at their best. I don't think Starling Marte is going to ever be remembered as a 350 hitter, but with the way that he's playing right now, I, I mean, yeah, it's tremendous. The BABIP is pretty high, though. He's got a 405 BABIP. Will that stay? Yeah. If he strikes out more and continues to put the ball in play, then yeah, it may sustain itself. But I don't think he's going to walk as much as he does all season, although he may – 
who know I mean who knows he's never told us it in postgame interviews or anything he's never really given any direct quotes to give credence to this but he may be doing a lot more to offset a lot of what we aren't doing collectively as a team because again we don't have a lot of guys who like to get on base Ch- jazz I believe is an OBP in the 340s which again is like for a middle infielder you can't really complain especially when you consider that he's hitting for a decent amount of power but again like I don't think Marte's that guy for the entirety of, of a season because we've never seen it. So what leads me to believe that he's going to do that? He's never had an on-base percentage higher than 362, which he had in 2016. If Starling Marte does that for a whole season, like I, and I would have no problem resigning him because, you know, he's doing what he's doing in a ballpark in Miami that just is not conducive to hitters, especially, you know, guys like him. Yeah. For anybody that listening that might not be aware of the total context for this conversation, it was really Craig Mish kind of single-handedly pushed this storyline first with media availability with Kim Ang and then speaking with Starling himself personally earlier this week about the possibility of an extension and the team's interest in extending him. And Kim Ang said there's been no talks and Starling Marte said there's been no talks, but he'd like there to be some talks um, because of how comfortable he is with the organization. Um, I think the conclusion that I think a lot of us have come to is that he will play this out and go to free agency because he's never been a free agent. This is a guy that signed as a teenager in the Dominican Republic and has never been a free agent. And now, um, as we'll get into very shortly, he's the best center fielder in this upcoming class that because of that supply and demand and because of how well he's performing in this contract year, it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to settle for anything less than he's worth if he thinks he can stay healthy the rest of the way here. So, but it's still an interesting subplot that the team hasn't been all that proactive in approaching him about a deal. And so for the purposes of this conversation, we'll, we're kind of assuming that he plays out the year and uh, going through whether the circumstances, whether the team does trade him or whether they hold on to him throughout the rest of the year, that that new contract would be negotiated kind of at the start of the off season and uh, what that would look like. Some other things I wanted to bring up about Marte is, well, I mean, we kind of got to how he's performing this year. I, I think we could hop right into the comp that you had in mind before we started recording. You, you, said, you referred to somebody that you think could be like some sort of template as to how we think Marte could age. Uh, he's 32 right now, so maybe age 33 and beyond. Who, who comes to mind as a guy that would set some sort of expectations for like how we'll perform moving forward. Yeah. So baseball reference has this really cool um, contextualization um, metric they use. It's just called similarity scores. And it was something devised by Bill James, where it's a zero to 1000 scale where he literally looks at every conceivable number compiled by a player throughout the course of their career and compares them by age. And then collectively through the course of their career, once they say they're retired or, so-and-so anyway so I looked at the sim scores for Marte through his age 32 season and the person that I got as far as the person who's had the most comparable career to him was Shinsu Chu now again Shinsu Chu is like I prefaced to you earlier I think their skill sets are different Chu is never like Shinsu Chu played one full season's worth of games in center field when he had that great year in Cincinnati when he was a you know, he was a 420 OBP guy. And funny enough, that was his free agent year. So he was a free agent at the end of the season. He signed seven years, 130 with the Rangers. And I'll, 
be sure every now and say that I don't think Marte is going to get a contract in the ballpark of that. I put up a poll on Twitter too. It was like, if you're the Marlins and you're, you want to re-sign him, which I'm sure most of us do considering where our offense is and the way that he's performing relative to that, how much do you give him? Do you give him a McCutcheon kind of deal? Three years, 51 million and say, Hey, like you're a free agent, but you're also 33 and we want to pay you, but we kind of want to be smart about it. We don't want to break the bank on you, especially because we know that we're not going to say this to you, that you're going to start declining in a couple of years. And we want to at least have some securities for when guys like Bladé come up and maybe Sixto comes back healthy and we have to, you know, consider the idea of extending him that, you know, your contract is good enough to where we can work around some of those limitations that we may have that other organizations don't. And again, Chu was a, you know, high OBP guy, decent power hitter. The defense de- depreciated over his career, just never really maintained itself. I mean, by the end of his career, it was a DH in Texas. But I looked at Chu's OPS plus from ages 32 to 38, and that was the last, that was, the, that was this year's two through seven of his contract with Texas, and he slashed 263, 367, 439. I don't think Marte is going to have, and that and a lot of that two for two is mostly because he played in the ballpark in Texas, a good hitter's park. So right. his slugging numbers were solid, but he also, you know, drew a lot of walks. He was a good base runner, as Marte is. And so that triple slash line totals out to a 110 OPS plus, and that's eight and a half wins above replacement. Granted, he lost a lot of ward because of his defense. His defense, again, like I said, is never great. But if Marte could kind of be – if Marte were to age that way, if Marte – say we get Marte for four years and for the duration of a four-year contract, he's a 108 to 110 OPS plus guy, and we eventually some – you know, because say like the second or third year of that contract, we're going to need a true center fielder because it'll be 34-35 and – how would a team that looks to compete look if they have a 34 year old playing center field on an everyday basis? I think you and I would know that that's probably not the smartest thing to do. So we would probably have to move him to left. I mean, Dickerson's contract would be off the books by then. And you know, the Rangers did that with you. He never played a game in center field for them, but he, for the, for the most part throughout his tenure in Texas, he was an average to slightly above average player. And, Again, I don't think Marte is going to have the benefit of getting a contract like that because I think front offices have kind of become cognizant of, okay, like we're not going to pay a guy in his 30s that much money. But I think it's a good comp because their skill sets were similar in different ways. And I think that Marte may age that way where he'll be at that level offensively as far as how good he is compared to the average hitter. But again, I want to know who your comp is. I mean, that was the guy that came to mind because I, you know, their prior numbers were so similar yeah. and what he projected to do, what, what you, what you did and what Marte projects to do, I don't think it's too far off, but who was the guy that you had in mind? I think I have you beat. I, I'm trying to stay humble, but I think I have you beat. I went back a couple more years and the comp I came up with was Tory Hunter. Um, Tory Hunter, he hit free agency around the same age as Starling. He was like about one year younger he was coming off a pretty great year with the twins. He had 28 home runs. He stole 18 bases. It was a, a 123 OPS plus. He won a gold glove in center field. So he was someone that I guess the defensive reputation was on a different level than Starling, right? He won like uh, Tory Hunter won gold gloves 
I think one, two, three, four, seven straight wow. years, wow. you know, heading into free agency. That was a different element for him. But you look offensively, offensively, they are really, really comparable because um, unlike Chu and kind of more like Marte, like Hunter was not a high walk guy. Um, he only had one, like he maxed out at 50 walks in his one of his pre-free agent years, but he's mostly a guy that um, only walked, you know, 6% of the time, 7% of the time each year heading into the free agency. But he, he was someone that got plenty of hits. You know, he was always hitting in the 260s, 270s, 280s. He had that decent power. You know, he was usually a 20 home run guy. He, he wasn't the same base runner as Marte, but as I said, with the defense, you know, that was kind of on another level, both in terms of what he could quantify and anecdotally and his reputation. So that that works in his favor. But they were around the same age. Uh, the consistency was great. He had that good contract year. Um, still time to will tell, you know, exactly where Starling stats wind up at the end of the year. But I think he could wind up in a very similar territory in terms of 123 OPS plus a guy that has both the, the power and the speed and who has pretty decent contact skills. I mean, Tori Hunter was striking out a hundred times a year at, in an era when it was still, you know, that was still a little bit worse than league average. So that aspect is a tiny bit different. But I think you just go through the whole package and these are kind of subtle differences between them that you put the whole package together and he was a legit center fielder who had a well-rounded offensive game, who was pretty consistent year in, year out, who had maybe like one really severe injury his whole career, you know, prior to free agency. He ends up getting five years and 90 million from the Angels. And I come, I'm in line with you that when you look at any of those contracts, you need to consider that uh, older players right now in this day and age, uh, even compared to back then, older players are kind of are being doubted more and teams are just not willing to assume that steady production. They, they always bake in that expected decline for someone in their mid thirties. Um, and with Marte, you know, with Marte, with Hunter, you know, even though this was like the gold standard, literally the gold standard for center field defense, midway through that angels contract, he transitions into being a right fielder. So with Marte, it's probably transitioning to be a left fielder. Same thing that uh, there's really nobody that's kind of immune to this. You know, I looked at the numbers of guys in their mid thirties over the last decade or so that actually put up a qualified season as an everyday center fielder. And it's really short, you know, there's one fluky cocoa crisp season in there. There's um, but besides that, there are guys that are basically just in a timeshare between center field and one of the corners. That's kind of the best case scenario. Once you get to 34, 35. So Hunter was the guy that came to mind uh, for me, and that was my starting point for that. And that contract went pretty well for the angels. I mean, yeah. he continued being into his thirties. You can look it up. It's, he was kind of the, uh, he was actually like slightly better offensively into his thirties than he was for most of his twenties. He was, he started to get on base more. He started to draw more walks, even though obviously the base running slipped and the defense slipped. Um, that was the angels were probably pretty thrilled with that, both the tangible stuff and obviously the intangible stuff because Tory Hunter had that reputation of being an extremely well-liked teammate and all that. He, so he was the one that I dug up just from bouncing things around. Was I right? Is, is that kind of nah, that's a decent I, one? I, I, you definitely had me beat. I mean, especially when you look at Marte's current war, I believe he's a 35, 36 war player at this point in his career, which again, like, if he retired tomorrow, I mean, like if you're a 30 war player, you know, you're pretty, you know, you had a pretty successful career. You'd have some degree of success to merit that much value. Tory Hunter's a 50 war guy. And honestly, that's where I always like, if I, when I watched Starling Marte play, I was always the kind of guy who 
whenever I watch a player, I mean, I'm, you know, I have the Cubs game on in the background right now. I'm watching somebody and I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm obsessed with that statistic, even if it's so, you know, polarizing. I look at a player and I think to myself, like, where are you going to retire as far as wins of replacement goes? And I mean, I look at Arenado's already a 40 war guy. I, you know, I see him kind of eclipsing, you know, 70, maybe 80 at some point if he's lucky. And Torrey Hunter and Starling Marte, Starling Marte was always the kind of guy that I watched play. And I'm like, you know, he's got the potential to be a 50 war. Like he's going to be remembered as a really, really, really good player. And that's how Torrey Hunter's remembered. I mean, I remember that Angels contract. That was a terrific five-year deal. And then nobody remembers when he went to Detroit. Those two years, he wasn't even that bad either. He was a 115 OPS plus in his late 30s, hitting for power in a pitcher's park. I mean, you know, like, it's not Mike Trout, but he's, you know, he's above average offensively. And he had the best offensive season of his career with Mike Trout. So in 2013, you know, 129 OPS plus and – 365 OBP. I mean, like Tory Hunt. Yeah, Tory Hunter is definitely where I think Marte's ceiling is. But yeah, I'm not even like I'm not even privy to say that like he couldn't slightly exceed it just because he's a better base runner. Hunter's defense is kind of what's the separator there, and I think Hunter slightly hits for a little bit more power or did. But no, I think yeah, you definitely do have me beat. It's funny when you said Tory Hunter, I kind of just thought like Starling Marte is this weird amalgam of Shinsu Chu and a lesser Torrey Hunter mixed together. And you kind of like put those two in a pot and you kind of just get Marte as this complete player and in his own unique kind of way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other, like, much more recent comp um, that I'm sure would come up in these negotiations because Hunter signed that, God, it's going to be 13 years difference between when that contract was signed and when Marte would be signing his deal this offseason. So a more recent comp would be Lorenzo Cain, um, five years, $80 million to Milwaukee. Uh, he's had some durability concerns, but when he's been healthy, he's been pretty solid. But, you know, the durability is obviously kind of the most important part in terms of getting your money's worth. Um, again, the ages line up pretty well. Uh, Kane was a year and a half younger than Marte will be on the same track. Um, but with Kane, he had a much shorter track record. You know, he was coming off a very good contract year as well, which is kind of the common thread between a lot of these guys. Uh, great contract year with the Royals. He just didn't have like that many full seasons in his like track record prior to that only probably two or three. You know, he was someone that even back then had some durability issues. He was kind of a late bloomer. He just had playing time limitations that he just wasn't an everyday player for all that long before testing free agency. Um, but the numbers are pretty comparable in terms of the contract that he got uh, compared to what Hunter got. And it showed that that at least the Brewers were willing to pay for him pretty deep into his thirties um, as a potential center fielder uh, at right now, based on how the Brewers built their team, they, it's clear that the final two years of this deal, they see Kane as more of a corner guy. Um, 
So that lines up pretty well. Uh, but with Marte, I think he's, he's going to have a slightly stronger case because of that much longer longevity uh, that, that you could look at. And also because just looking at like the batted ball data that Kane was never a guy that really barreled the ball. He, he, um, he had some good years in terms of his batting average in uh, some double digit home run seasons, but with Marte, what he's showing this year, that kind of really gets my hopes up about him is that he's barreling the ball at a, a very good rate. And that's something that no matter what park you play in, that's going to translate into quite a bit of home runs that's a skill that ages really great. You want to look at someone like Nelson Cruz, who every year is up, up top in terms of barrel rate. That's the one thing that you could take with you pretty deep into your career if you have it. If you like maintain that bat speed, or if you main, if you're fit enough to like bring the bat through the zone uh, deep into your career, that's something that has that will age pretty well, even if the base running doesn't, the defense doesn't. Um, and so Kane's again, that contract that he got was five years, 80 million, $16 million a year. And uh, we're going to get into that pretty shortly in terms of where I have him contract wise, but that's, that's really, really the most recent template for him because other than that, it's really since Kane, um, I mean, one guy that also hit free agency this past offseason was George Springer, but that's that skill set is completely different. That track record, even though he was technically a center fielder, he was someone that was they priced that almost all because of his bat instead of like his all around play. So, so for me, it was definitely Tory Hunter first and Lorenzo Kane second as like the names that come to mind when trying to project what is going to happen, both in terms of the dollars and in terms of the performance for Starling. I think, yeah, you're, you're probably a safer bet to give Marte that deal. I mean, we also have to remember he did have, I think it was a lat injury, but he also had some wrist injury. He had a wrist injury, and that was actually in person for that game that he left with that injury earlier in the season, and he missed a lot of time. That's why he's only played 30, 31 games at this point of the season. So it's, which kind of makes his free agent case a little bit harder, although I will say this. I mean, I was looking at the free agent center fielders, prior to 22 season um, to earlier today. And Marte is clear in a way the best option when you look at the center fielders that are going to be available this winter. So he may have his pick of the land as far as where he wants to go and what he may command, just because there's going to be a slew of weak options out there. And unless the A's are going to trade Ramon Lariano, I don't know. I mean, like there's well, not really well, going to be any. Options. Well, good. I'll, I'll stop you right there because I'm, that's the name I had written down in terms of alternatives outside the organization that if they, if they don't bring back Marte and they don't feel comfortable in any of these prospects taking the next step and being a center fielder, you know, they have some very exciting prospects as I spoke about early in the show, Jesus Sanchez, but he is strictly a corner guy. And we, we know where we stand kind of with Lewis Brinson and we probably know where we stand with Monte Harrison too, with the contact issues that he's had at every level that he's played at that Loriano is the one who's productive. He's controllable. And he's on a team that like just refuses to like pay guys even more so than the Marlins do. Like with the A's when you get that deep into arbitration and if the A's don't like really put together a complete contending team this year, they're a candidate to really blow it up. And he's someone that could be available. So that that's a good name that you brought up. And that's one that the Marlins do have, you know, that prospect ammunition to trade for, like they do have enough to get that deal done. If he is in fact available, I'm assuming when you looked at like the free agent options, you probably went to that MLB trade rumors page. Is that right? I went to sport track. I, I, that's a really good website because it gives you a dollar breakdown on what players currently make, but that's a really right. good 
kind of like financial, looking at the financial side of teams and looking at total payroll and seeing, you know, like where teams kind of stand from a dollars and cents standpoint. But Right. Well, I bring it up because I think wherever you were looking and where I was looking, the one guy that they don't have listed as a center fielder in most places is Chris Taylor, who is playing a lot of center field this year with the Dodgers. Yeah. And he's played a lot of it the past couple of years. And he's good. He's really, really good. And he's younger than Marte by like a year and a half, I think. Even though the Dodgers use him as that super utility guy, you know, play whatever position is open. It's a different skill set than Marte. But uh, I'm curious what you think about like Chris Taylor. Which of those guys, I mean, if Marte keeps hitting at this level, we know that he takes his like earning potential to a whole nother level. But um, in your best guess, who do you think has more earning power on the market heading into this offseason is it going to be Marte or Chris Taylor because Chris Taylor has pretty quietly had a great run with the Dodgers yeah. now the last like five years yeah since 2016 2017 he's been dynamite for them after pretty much kind of floundering in Seattle but I don't know I mean like yeah Taylor can Taylor played second base yesterday he can play shortstop and the thing is he's kind of like a John birdie 2.0, but he's kind of slowly become like other with other than Tommy Edmond in uh, St. Louis, he's kind of like Ben Zobrist for this era where he can hit like at one point, I believe Taylor had an OBP that exceeded 380. And since the start of 2020, Chris Taylor's on base percentage is like 378 which is great. I mean, we were just talking about Marte and the Marlins kind of like lack of ability to work pitchers counts and get on base via the free pass. You know, he'd be definitely a valuable option for us because I think too, when you have utility guys, the way that Madden had Zobris in Tampa and Chicago was that he was able to give a guy a day, say, Hey, like Kyle Schwarber, if you can't play left field today, then Ben Zobris, like you can go out there or, Addison Russell, like, I can't have you playing second base today, so why don't you go out there, Ben? Like, just do that. And Taylor gives that option. I mean, we have that with Birdie. And, you know, Taylor, too, we know what Taylor has that Marte doesn't is he has the track record of extended postseason experience. He, I believe he won an NLCS co-MVP one year with was – it, was it Justin Turner? I don't know if it was Justin Turner, but he won it one year. So he's got, you know, the playoff experience – that Marte doesn't necessarily have, although he, you know, was with us last year in the Atlanta series. He had some time in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Valuable for sure. But I, I don't know. I don't see the Dodgers kind of parting ways with him. I don't, but I also don't kind of see him getting a deal like what Marte may command. And it's weird when you consider that because wherever you seemingly put a guy like Chris Taylor, he's averaged to slightly above average at almost all of those positions and that's valuable in and of itself even if it doesn't equate to hitting home runs it's just you know but the Dodgers are also like a voodoo run organization who seemingly do things that other organizations can't seem to do so I'm not sure but I don't know like when I was thinking about money for Marte and I and I want to hear what you have to say because I think you'll probably offer a better perspective than I will right now you know I don't you know like Marcelo Zuna got a four-year deal with Atlanta and who knows what the hell is going to happen with that contract now with what recently transpired, but four years, 64 million actually doesn't seem too unrealistic. And for a guy like Marte, we have to also remember Pittsburgh early in his career gave him a pretty team friendly contract. So he made some money 
yeah, he didn't make the money. Obviously, he lost out a little bit the way that Acuna and Albies did when they signed their team-friendly extensions. But, you know, like, for a guy who we recently said and most agree is going to wind up in a corner in a couple of years, you know, why are you going to shell out 90, 100 million for a guy in his 30s when we also don't have a fully established core around him? Right. It scares me because I still think we need a shortstop too because Rojas is a free agent. We have an option with him. But, you know, there, I always think every big move that a team makes is has to be influenced in some way, shape, or form by all the other players around you and all the other transactions that may need to take place to, in order for that one big one that we want to have happen, happen. Right. Now that's, that's a great line because that was a question even coming into this year. I think some people were wondering, uh, does the window of contention open in 2021? And like, based on the off season, the answer was kind of a resounding no, like it wasn't an exciting off season, but at least the, the message was pretty clear that they, they were not ready to make any sort of risky moves. They kind of kicked the can down the road. They said they were going to use this year to like evaluate some more guys at the major league level. And we've seen a few of those so far, but actually we uh, not enough of those position players to my liking in terms of how they've used this year and the, the playing time to do that. The question is whether they do really push not all their chips, but just put a lot of their chips or even some of their chips onto like into the table for 2022 because they can't they're going to make that kind of investment and it's really right around those numbers that you threw out uh that's what i had in mind if you make this one investment to bring back Marte, you still need a more of a supporting cast around him some of those positions that you brought up um whether we'll see how the rest of jorge alfaro's year goes and whether you're comfortable with him at catcher whether you think there needs to be a big investment at that position as well um, with their bullpen, the fact that they still haven't, you know, figured out the guy as high as I am on Anthony Bender, you know, there still needs to be a lot of reps from, from him to get an understanding if he's like a true premier closer, or if that's, that's another position that you need, you want to address somehow that there are going to be several other moves and probably expensive moves, uh, that you need to make around Marte to actually lift the floor of this team to one that you can trust to be, if not like a surefire playoff team, then at least, you know, one that has a winning record. So with, with that in mind, I mean, assuming that they're serious about bringing back Marte and serious about doing some other things around him, the, I, there's kind of two like benchmarks that I came up with one being a four-year deal, one being a three-year deal. And I actually think the preference um, I would think with the organization is to go four years for him to make some sort of statement about continuity with the team. And also with the way that this contract could be structured, the longer the contract is um, the more creative ways you could push the money around. And the figures I settled on were four years in 67 million dollars with him. Um, I think realistically that his representation is going to have that Lorenzo Kane contract in mind because of how recent it was. They're going to want to uh, beat that average annual value of $16 million. And I think that's kind of reasonable when we talked about, you know, some of the things that Martin Marte does offensively that even Kane didn't really show that he could do that. You think that bat could age more gracefully than Kane's did. Um, so I'd be comfortable going, this works out at $16.8 million a year over those four years. And the way that they should structure it, in my opinion, the fact that almost the rest of their roster right now is guys that are still in their ARB years or even in their pre-arbitration years that I would front load that contract, like $22 million uh, in the first year, uh, and then bring it down to like $15 million 
the second year, the third year, and the fourth year. Put most, I mean, that's not it's not really bad outlandish, you know, just put a third of it in that first year to spread out the rest over those next three. So that, um, I mean, realistically, even though you want this to be a statement about bringing back a guy that everybody likes and that fits your that fits your clubhouse well, you want to keep open that possibility of potentially trading him during the back half of that deal. I think that's just realistic with how uh, baseball works. In fact, um, you could really, if you want to get really sneaky with it, about 10 and five rights uh, that baseball players have, uh, just to make sure our audience is clear about that. If you're in the majors for 10 years with your current team for five years, you have like an automatic no trade clause that yeah. they could move him before the start of that last year. And it's right before that 10 and five rights kick in. So he, they would be able to move him anywhere entering that last year. If for whatever number of reasons, they feel that's the appropriate thing to do. That, that's my preferred structure. I, I could also see it being, I think there is a certain three-year deal that he'd be willing to take because of everything we outlined, just, you know, the, the caution that teams have in terms of paying guys pretty deep into their thirties um, that, um, Speaking with Ethan uh, before this, he, he was someone that, I mean, he pointed out that a lot of these veteran outfielders, even ones that are consistently great at hitting, like Michael Brantley, he, he took a two-year deal in free agency. And there's a lot of these guys that um, in a similar age group that end up settling for only two or three years, that it's kind of rare for anybody to get beyond that. And uh, if we assume that Marte is like a league average hitter the rest of the season, if he starts like, and overall, you know, the numbers would still look pretty great. And he'd be a very attractive free agent, but um, I think there's definitely a scenario where the market only like draws that line at three years guaranteed and makes him maybe be tied to a incentives or like a team option for the fourth year. It's very possible that like the limit for his market is just that three years guaranteed. So I think three years, sixty million dollars is pretty fair. So you value that fourth year at like seven million dollars for his age. 36 season. And I think that's kind of a fair number where like whether or not he feels he could beat that once the time comes, or uh, I think more realistically, just the way the game is going that guys, once they get like that deep into their, into their age that they usually don't hit that number. So I think four four and 67 is kind of generous. And I think three and 60 is, is pretty fair. Um, for all things considered, again, you try to front load that a little bit, just considering the lack of other obligations going on right now, but it's more difficult, you know, to do creative things with that money. If it's a shorter contract, I, I think for everybody involved, it would be a big PR win to uh, do that four-year deal. This stuff also takes into account the qualifying offer that is still in effect for one final year that that would, I think, drag down his market just a little bit. And this is the same thing that was in effect for Lorenzo Kane. And that's why the comparison still works is because Kane hit the open market with that um, QA, QO attached to him, that draft pick compensation. So again, that's like another parallel uh, between them. Uh, that's that's why I came up with that. I, I don't think it goes a, a whole lot past that unless he hits unless he puts up you know an a thousand ops the entire season you know if he somehow keeps this up um i mean every factor you look at says that realistically he's going to settle in as a great hitter instead of being a mvp hitter mm -hmm. and you do need to bake into account that he missed some time with that injury because that's the difference between him and tory hunter between him and lorenzo kane is that um those guys were fully healthy in their contract years and Marte, even though um I mean, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, he did miss 35 games and he suffered that injury on the field, taking a swing that 
that combined with his history, he does have some other nagging injuries in his past that that is something that works against him as well. So that, that's where I kind of max out at. That's kind of where I draw the line at uh, four years, $67 million. Um, and I think the Marlins under the right circumstances, that's something that they, they could pull the trigger on. Uh, all right. It's not asking too much. I don't think. No, not at all. Especially when you consider our opening day payroll was below $60 million. I believe it was right around 59 million. Like you said, we don't necessarily have a lot of long-term commitments. I mean, Aguiar is not making a lot of money, although I believe we still have him under contract for next year. I could be wrong about that. I yes, arbitration eligible guys, so they have control. Yeah. So there's two years, you get two years, I believe it's two years of arbitration before free agency, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, yeah, there's not a lot of commitments there. The thing is, too, it's like I said, we need a shortstop. So, like, and I love Miguel Rojas. He's, you know, obviously, you know, we call Marte the heart and soul of this team as far as performance is concerned. But I think Rojas is like the unofficial captain that we have. If yes. we bring him back, I'm not going to complain because the last two years he's been a, an above average offensive player. And you have more than a full half of season to really say, hey, like, like there may be something to this. But, you know, sign stealing sandal aside, I'm not going to say no to Carlos Correa wanting to come out to Miami. I mean, can you imagine what that would do? I think by 2022, you know, we'll be three years beyond the news breaking about that scandal. I don't think anybody will care. And I think, I mean, the way that Springer was welcomed in Toronto and the way that Hinch got hired by the Tigers, at the end of the day, if you have good people in baseball, as far as just good baseball people, as far as performance is concerned, regardless of some questionable ethical decisions that they've made in the past, I think you would, you know, I don't think any Marlins fan would be upset about seeing Carlos Correa playing shortstop in Miami. I mean, and then to factor in, you may have a healthy Sixto Sanchez and Starling Marte at that point is still an option to resign because again, we don't necessarily have any long-term commitments. So he's just a beautiful little complimentary piece at that point to what I think would help cement our offense is a little bit more legitimate especially in a division that is full of turnover you don't know what the nationals are going to be because strasburg continues to pitch with decreased velocity scherzer exited yesterday's game with 12 pitch after throwing just 12 pitches you know the mets are good but you know, what do you expect from them long term if they can't even score runs when the best pitcher on earth is pitching for them you know the phillies still don't have a bullpen. The Braves have a lot more questions than people think. So, you know, I think Marte under the right circumstances around three years, four years at most makes perfect sense for us going forward. But again, we're going to have to do that being cognizant of the fact that, Hey, like in one or two years, we're going to need a true center fielder. So Victor Mesa, like, you know, I hope you continue to progress in the minor leagues. I don't, have any faith in Brinson obviously we've seen that this year and in all years prior Monte Harrison I think is another case of you're just not you know able to hit at the bigger levels so yeah I mean like for now like Marte I think is a perfect player for this team so long as he's paired with enough pieces like he was with McCutcheon when Pittsburgh was great and they had Ray Searage and just being smart with the way that they use pitchers there to where that, you know, a four-year deal for him would be tr- would be a tremendous asset that we would have. It'd be something that most other teams can't lay claim to having, you know, yeah, as, a, one, as 
not even the main attraction. Yeah, I mean, the one wild card in the center fielder discussion is J.J. Blade, where I don't think anybody really thought of him as a center fielder coming out of college, but kind of by necessity at double-A right now, uh, with Victor Victor Mesa out with an injury, like Blade has played quite a bit of center field this year, and he hasn't made any like egregious errors to this point. Mm -hmm. If he's a passable center fielder with all the expectations about how he's going to be such a complete offensive player, then that would, that'd be huge. And they're going to have a better idea of that by the end of the year, because he's going to get more opportunities to play there defensively. And I mean, hopefully the overall numbers from him will look a lot better at the end of the year than they do now, although they are definitely trending in the right direction. So he, he's kind of a huge swing factor in this. If they, if they feel that he could actually potentially be passable center fielder. Uh, but I mean, as I said, at the top of the show, one of the biggest like surprises to me is just how great Starling has looked defensively in center this year, where I don't think it's any doubt that he's going to be there next year. Um, again, history says that once you get to like 35, uh, there's really no shot at you sticking there on an everyday basis. Um, and that's kind of how the team's going to have to plan for it. But that's kind of the adjustments that I made too, you know, in this offer again, that's four years, 67 or three years, 60 um, something that, I mean, we'd, we'd hope that it was agreed to during the season, but all indications are this is something that's going to go uh, to the end of the year. So we're, we're going to wrap it up there. I think we went like a full hour just with the two wow. of us, with Eli Sussman and Louis Adio Weiss about the Pay Marte movement, uh, hoping to see it. Uh, really one of the bigger stories that's going to play out as this year goes on. The temptation to, uh, at the deadline, I mean, no matter what, no matter how the team feels about him, those calls are going to be coming in from contending teams. He is one of the best players on the market, and because he is a pending free agent, um, th there's just going to be so many offers for him if the Marlins fall out of the race, and uh, they kind of are in a pretty perilous position right now in fourth place in the division and really far removed from the wild card race. So many questions that are going to be answered as the year goes on, but we just kind of wanted to lay the groundwork about this conversation. So let us know what you think. want to hear your offers as well um, and what you think the alternatives are if for whatever reason they do choose to part ways with Starling Marte. Thanks for listening to uh, the Fish Stripes podcast. Uh, Fish Stripes Live series preview coming up on Monday night. And then again on Friday night, we have our daily podcast, um, Big Fish Small Pod, Tuesday through Friday. And we have plenty of articles, of course, on fishstripes.com. We appreciate your support. As always, go fish.